Take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you will. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I uh, hope you've had a great week thus far. And uh, ladies, we are set up for uh, the ladies refresher this weekend and all of the decors done. Uh, gift bags, you saw tables all around, stuff all around the property. And uh, the gym looks awesome. And so everything is ready for uh, the event. And so hope that you're making plans to be with us. Several guys have asked, uh, hey, Pastor, if I'm helping, what time do I need to be there? Uh, I would love to have you here at 4 o'clock if you could do that. And if not, that's fine. Just get here when you can get here. We're uh, serving the ladies at 6. Uh, so that'll give us some time to make sure that we're ready, prepped. Everybody knows what they're doing, where they're supposed to be, expectations, all that stuff. Uh, but uh, if you have any questions, come see me after the service. Be happy to answer anything I can. Uh, but this is our opportunity to love on our ladies uh, in a way and just thank them for all that they do for us in serving them. So I hope that you're making plans uh, to be with us uh, this coming weekend. We do have a busy weekend. We have a lot of stuff planned. And uh, it's going to be a great day on Sunday. We're looking forward to it. But tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Remember, uh, last week we ended chapter 16 talking about uh, David being anointed to be the next king. Uh, we know that chapter 17, long chapter, but it tells one of the most familiar stories in all the Bible uh, in David and Goliath. Uh, we see that David is already anointed. He already knows that he's going to be the next king. No one else outside of his family and Samuel know. Um, but as they didn't know, imagine the shock when David found out that he was supposed to be uh, the uh, serenader of King Saul when this evil spirit comes in to trouble him. Uh, he ends up being Saul's armor bearer uh, in this process, uh, allowing him intimate access to details about what it would be like to be the king, all the while knowing that he was the next guy and nobody else knew. And no one else knew what was coming and God allowed him to see all that so that he would be prepared as much as he could be Years later, when he would become the next king over Israel, uh, but none of that, uh, all of that preparation, no one was expecting Goliath. No one was expecting the giant uh, that they were going to hear about uh, here in chapter number 17. And we kind of jump into the story with them in chapter 17 and verse number 1. And uh, if you're taking notes tonight on your hand down, you can write down the chasm, the chasm. We see in chapter 17 in verse number 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and here's the phrase, and there was a valley between them. Once again, we see the Philistines uh, lined up in, in an army and a battle against the Israelites. We know that Saul uh, was a man of war, engaged in battle all the days of his life, and we see that in chapter 14 and verse number 52. The Bible says uh, there was a sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. Uh, it was an ongoing battle. Uh, all of Saul's legacy, he was known as a warrior. He was known as a fighter. Uh, his story was that he was always in battle with somebody. But I wonder how many times that is our story. That we're always in a battle with somebody. 
So, Pastor, uh, what are you saying? What are you talking about? How many Christians go from one battle to another to another to another with other people? With others. Uh, they get one battle taken care of and maybe it's resolved or uh, maybe they just kind of sweep it under the rug. Say, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. And right around the corner, there's another battle with somebody else. And sadly, those type of people that live from battle to battle to battle, they tend to create their own battles. They tend to create their own strife. It's not that strife follows them. It's the fact that they create it on their own. Uh, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 tells us, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Ask yourself tonight, do I get along with other people? It's a fairly simple question, uh, but it is a very profound question. Do I get along with other people? Am I a fighter by nature? Am I somebody, well, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know, uh, But we're not called to be fighters with each other. We're called to be brothers and sisters. Are we even trying to get along with other people? It might not even be a thing of, you know, Pastor, I'm just not even going to bother. Uh, I, I don't like people. I'm not a people person. Oh, that might be the case, but you should still get along with other people. Uh, the trait of a Christian, one of our traits as believers, uh, all men will know this, that you're my disciple, Jesus said, that you love one another. Uh, you might not love. And there is, as we mature and as we get older and as we uh, go through life, it is possible to love people without liking people. It is possible, and, and I'll prove it. You all, we all, I won't say you all, we all, we all have people that we love. And if they called and they were in a pinch, we would be there. But we're not taking family vacation with them. Uh, we're not, uh, we're not, hey, they say, why don't you go out of town for the weekend with us? Nope, I, I'm busy. I'm, I'm doing something, painting a room or something. Uh, we'll find an excuse. Uh, there are people that we love that we would be there for, but we don't want to spend every waking moment with them. And we all have people like that in our life. Uh, some of them we're related to. Uh, but, you know, we think about everything that we do in our life. Uh, it's, it's more than just getting along. It's doing your part to get along. And there may be times in your life when it's not possible. But there may be times when it is possible and we do nothing to correct the problem. Maybe you know that there's something not right with a brother and sister in Christ. And maybe you know that there's something in between you and someone else. Uh, maybe we go about the problem the wrong way. Uh, maybe we say, well, you know, if I just dismiss it and I don't say anything about it, over time it will get better. You know, if I just sweep it under the rug and I let the dust kind of settle, it will go away. Uh, can I just help all of us tonight and remind us it doesn't work that way? The problem will not just go away automatically. Well, maybe they'll forget. When your name comes up, they'll remember. <laughs> it just works out that way. Remember Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 through 17. The Bible says, Moreover, if thy brethren shall tres uh, brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Step number one. Hey, I, I, I sense that there's something. And you don't have to go to that person and say, Hey, I heard that you're mad at me. What's wrong with you? You know, let's settle it the right way with the right spirit. Uh, years ago, heard this. I've said it over and over and over, and it bears repeating. We resolve conflict in the right 
place, or the right spirit, right time, right place, right spirit. Right time, right place, right spirit. Uh, the right time is not right before church starts. Hey, I know that Pastor Tim's getting ready to lead a song, but I just want you to know that I've thought the last few weeks that you were a jerk. That's not the right time. Okay? Uh, hey, um, I know that you're getting ready to go into work, and I know that you're on the clock. Uh, but, you know, you really bother me with some of the things that you do and the decisions you make. Hope you have a great day at work. We'll talk later. That's not the right place. All right? Uh, going in the right spirit means that you're going in a spirit of reconciliation, not to prove a point. And how many of us know people that they will reconcile, but they want to win? They want to prove that they were right as they reconcile. That's not genuine reconciliation. We go with a spirit of humility. Uh, we go with, hey, it doesn't matter if I have to say I'm sorry. That is such an easy thing. Such an easy thing. But we make it a hard thing. But step number one, go and tell them, them alone. We talked about that. Verse 16, if you'll not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if she shall neglect to hear thee, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man, a publican. The problem comes when I jump to step three without addressing step one. The problem comes when I say, well, I'm going to tell other people and maybe someone else will pray about this problem with me so that maybe somebody else will deal with it so I don't have to. You know, I'm not supposed to be involved if you haven't taken the first couple steps. You think about that? You know, I'm going to go tell pastor and maybe he'll pray and he'll have some profound wisdom for me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm not supposed to know, biblically, until step three. But come to me and say, hey, I've done this and I've done this biblically and it's still not worked out. Then we'll talk about it. But the problem comes when I get out of order. And then we start talking about absolutes and generalities. Well, pastor, you know, they never have time for me. Did you ask? Uh, they, she always acts that way, pastor. Well, is that true? Or is that my generality? Am I speaking in absolutes? You know, shouldn't we start the process by taking God at His word and trying to resolve it His way? Shouldn't that be our starting point? Hey God, I, I, don't, I really believe that this isn't going to go anywhere, but I'm going to trust you. You might be surprised. But we don't know unless we do it His way. Jay Adams said this, There are usually at least two problems involved in any human conflict. There is the issue over which the parties differ, and there is also the problem of their attitudes toward one another. You ever gone to somebody and try to reconcile, and you can just feel it, it's not going to happen. You can just sense it. You know, when you say sorry, oh, that's fine. And they just dismiss it. Oh, you don't have to say you're sorry. Yeah, that's fine. And it's not going anywhere. You are responsible for your action, not their reaction. Think about it like this. Philip Ryken said, There is such a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile. So it is not always possible to be reconciled. But it takes only one to forgive. So if people do you wrong, forgive them, whether or not they ask for forgiveness. You cannot cancel their sin. Only God can do that. And He will only do it if they repent. 
But what you can do is set aside your own anger, bitterness, and resentment towards them. Uh, can, I, can I just make this biblical? This is what God does for us. See, He looks at us and says, for the relationship to be reconciled, you have to ask for forgiveness. He has forgiveness ready to be offered if we'll simply ask. But here's the great thing. With forgiveness, we also get reconciliation. With forgiveness, we get reconciliation. But we have to come to God on His terms, not our terms. Well, I'll follow God if it's comfortable. I'll follow God if it's convenient. I'll follow God, Pastor, if it doesn't require too much of me. As long as that cross isn't involved, I'll follow Jesus. That's not His terms. We do it His way. Ephesians 4, 31-32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, spirit of humility, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What would your legacy be like? What would it be like if your legacy was that you never held a grudge? You weren't easily offended. You were someone who you let it roll off. Hey, I, that's not even worth my time. That, that offense is not even worth, I'm not even going to entertain those thoughts. I'm not even going to allow that to bother me. Because that is Satan. That's not spirit-led. That's flesh-led. Saul couldn't let those things go, by the way. And we see that as his life progresses, as David and Saul get on that collision course for the throne, we see that Saul couldn't let it go and he carried it until the day that he died. That jealousy, that offense. But in chapter 17, see the big picture. We've got the valley. We've got mountaintop, mountaintop. But it's not our definition of mountaintop. You know, we think Shenandoah Mountain over here. We see this mountain range over here and big valley. No, that's not what we see. Because as they're discussing, as Goliath is speaking, they can hear. So you know it's not that big of a distance. But there is something separating them. It says in verse number 3, there was a valley between them. A valley. A divide. And there are all kinds of differences. Number one, there were religious differences. Remember, the Israelites believed in one God, and the Philistines worshipped many gods. Uh, there was, uh, the Israelites were, by and large, a peaceful people. The Philistines were a people of war. Uh, the Israelites were givers. The Philistines were takers. But the valley is what divided them. And we can liken this today to the valley that is in between the world and the church. Uh, we see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 14 and 15, Paul tells the church of Corinth that was trying to live on both mountaintops. They were trying to, on Sunday we talked about this, trying to live for Jesus one week. And then a few uh, days later they were living for the world. And back and forth they went, bouncing back and forth. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord or agreement hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There will always be a battle between good and evil. It will always be that way. 
And we're in a battle that's not physical, it's spiritual. We understand that. And there is a divide, a great valley. That's why we armor up every single day. That's why we get spiritual. Ephesians chapter 6, we put our spiritual armor on. We prepare. But what about the valley that comes between us? See, the valley is supposed to be between good and evil. We expect that. But what about the days when the valley becomes between good and good? What about when we allow that spirit of disunity to creep in among us and now there's a divide between God's people? That should not be. There should not be a divide. Uh, What about when we disagree? We can still have unity and still disagree. Now, uh, we talk about that every year at when sports rolls around whether it's baseball or basketball or football, whatever the sport is, we can still have unity and y'all can all be wrong for not being Eagles fans. I mean, you can all be wrong and I still love you. I still care for you greatly. Uh, But we can all disagree and we can still have unity. It is possible. But what about when there's not unity? How do we handle it? We go back to Matthew 18. Hey, there's, there's an issue. I sense it. I feel it. I, I know that something's there, and I just want to talk to you about it. Can, can we resolve this? See, a church that is growing, we will always have things going on that we all don't agree on. Not We won't all agree all at the same time. Well, pastor, I like the pink carpet. You know, I just honestly like the pink carpet. Praise the Lord. I love you. Uh, I don't agree with you, but I love you. Uh, I like the pink carpet. Or I like this color. Or I like this style. Or I like modern versus contemporary versus, uh, you know, traditional or what, whatever. doesn't really matter. We can still have unity and disagree. We can agree to disagree. And we can still be united. But look at what happened Think about what happened. There was one person out of the entire Israelite army, there was only one person that came in and said, hey, God's on our side. Let's not let this divide us. Let's let God unite us. And there needs to be somebody that says, this is not worth it. Is that person you? That says, hey, this disagreement is not worth it. Uh, This valley between us is not worth arguing over. It's not worth being at odds against each other over. Uh, Let's get that settled. Uh, We have nothing to fear. David shows up. Nothing to fear. God's on our side. Is there not a cause? But which one of those people would you be? Would you be that group in that group that says, hey, we're not going to agree on this? Or would you be on the thing that says, hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's be united under the same banner, his banner, not our own. The chasm that's mentioned. Then number two, we see the champion that's mentioned. Verse number four, well, we know about the differences. We see the warrior kind of rise to the top. In verse four, it says, There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. They had a fighter, a warrior, who was bigger, badder than everybody else that they had ever seen. And Israel had their own giant. Remember, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. They had their own version, but nobody believed in his ability to go against Goliath. Nobody. We'll see that in just a moment. But ironic as it is, you think about all of the people who, even those who are unchurched, 
have heard about David and Goliath. They've, they've heard the David and Goliath story. You hear that in sports. You know, the underdog story. This is a David and Goliath story. And people who don't even know the Bible know the name Goliath. But his name is only mentioned twice in this story. Two times. Here in verse 4, and then again in verse 23. But the writer gives us the description of Goliath. Six cubits in a span. Somewhere between nine and a half to ten feet tall. But before we think about uh, this guy that is just a beanpole, uh, this tall, skinny, scrawny guy, that is not the case. But it's a great reminder for us to go back one chapter. And it would have been a great reminder for all of them to have been in the group one chapter prior. Because the writer gives us his height. But what did God tell Samuel in chapter 16 and verse number 7? Remember, we know the verse. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Remember, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Goliath did not have a pretty heart, by the way. He had an ugly heart. But we see that they were so focused on the outside. That's all that they saw. But when you think about it, that's us. That's how we live. We are so focused on what we see. We're used to sizing up our battles. Uh, man, I, I don't realize these bills are mounting up. Uh, there's too many of them. Or, or my job is horrible. Or personalities I'm dealing with are struggle or hurt. And we compare our battle to us. These, uh, Pastor, these bills are caving in on me. Remember whose battle it is. It's not your battle. It's the Lord's battle. Our theme, the battle is the Lord's. It's His but because we're supposed to compare our giant to our God. We don't compare our giant to us because we'll fall every single time. We compare our giant to our God. Comparing him to our king. And when we do that, we find out that our giant doesn't have a chance against our God. Does not have a chance. So when we read all about all the details, remember that the author who is writing this already knows the outcome. Think about that. The person writing here is not one of those courtside reporters who's giving the play-by-play as it happened. He's writing after the fact. He already knows that Goliath is going to die. He already knows that right is going to win. He already knows that the Lord is going to be victorious. And so do we. So do we. We understand that our battle is temporary. We understand that our God is bigger. We understand who is going to win. God always wins. Always wins. He's always victorious. So we understand that. We know that. But is that how we lived? See, his armor was heavy. 125 pounds, this coat of mail that he's wearing, this helmet of brass on his head, his spearhead weighed 15 pounds. You think about a gallon of milk weighs about 8 pounds. So imagine this guy holding a spear and holding that thing out and balancing it like it's nothing and the spearhead is the size of 2 gallons of milk. Just holding it out there like it's nothing. Ready to hurl it 
with accuracy. But this guy is not just tall, he's huge. Some commentators believe between six and 700 pounds. And this is not a big guy. He's a big guy. Not just big, big, both ways. So we think that he's got this armor. He's got uh, on his chest. He's got it on his legs. He's got a shield bearer in front of him. He looked impossible to kill. But remember, the devil always has a giant too. The devil has a champion too. It might be that secret sin that we struggle with. It might be that thing that we battle that no one else knows about. But the devil knows what button to push with each of us. He knows what works the best. We battle our issues and he tempts us and disrupts us. Satan knows that one champion that he knows. If I send that champion out, it's very likely that they'll fall. It's very likely that it will work. And he knew. Remember, all the people knew that Saul was big and bad and he was a warrior. But they were so focused on the giant that they forgot about their God. And for us tonight, hey, what day of the week looks the worst? Oh, man. It's Monday. Oh, it's just Monday is horrible. Oh, it's, uh, how was your day? Oh, it was Monday. You don't ever hear anybody say it was Thursday. You know, it's Monday. It's always Monday. Man, it was a Monday. Oh, it was a Monday. What day precedes Monday? Sunday. Is it any coincidence that the day where we spend time with Jesus is followed by a day where we're attacked by Satan? Is it any coincidence? That day, man, we come in on church, man, God is good. We saw him work. And people took next steps. And we saw, some, we saw somebody get, get baptized in all their clothes. This past Sunday, you have to watch the live stream. Uh, but we saw God do some awesome stuff. Oh, but it was Monday. Oh, how quick we forget what God did on Sunday when we go into Monday. How quick we forget that day where God challenges us, speaks to us, encourages us, lifts us, strengthens us. And then we get to Monday and we act like Monday is bigger than our Sunday. Now, now somebody help me here. We act on Monday like Goliath is bigger than the God of our Sunday. We act on Monday like Goliath is bigger than the God of our Sunday. It's time for us to go into Monday and say, my God is still the God of Monday, just like he was the God of Sunday. It's time for me to say, it's Wednesday, and the God that we worship and served and strengthened us and encouraged us and challenged us and lifted us and helped us is still just as much God today as he was Sunday. It's still just, well, you know, look at all the empty seats. I mean, come on. If you're coming to church and your only encouragement is a full room, man, that's pretty shallow. Hey, it's not the room that we're worshiping. It's the God that we worship. It's Him that we worship, not a full room. And remember, there is nothing too hard for Him. Nothing. 
But do we believe that? Do we live like that? Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. Chapter 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Mark 10, 27. And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Mark 9, 23. Jesus said unto him, it, thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth. But do we believe it? Do we live like we believe it? Uh, Blaise Pascal said, The greatest single distinguishing feature of the omnipotence or power of God is that our imagination gets lost thinking about it. Our imagination gets lost thinking about how big he is, how powerful he is. And think about this. Jeremy Taylor it is impossible for that man to despair who remembers that his helper is omnipotent. Hey, why should I fear? Jesus is near, the song says. Hey, I'm not going to be afraid because the one who lives and breathes inside of me is bigger than anything and can do anything. Why do I have to be afraid of what's going to happen in the elections or who's going to get voted in or what's going to happen at my job or how my family situation is going to work out? God is living and breathing. That is the thing that I focus on, not my circumstances, not the giant, and not the surroundings. I focus on the God who is over all of that. We see the chasm that was there. We see the champion that was there. And then lastly tonight, we see the challenge that was there. Because there was a challenge. There was a challenge. In verse number 8, And he, Goliath, the giant, stood and cried in the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Hey, why, aren't you, why are you fighting here? Why are we even talking about this? Why are we going to have this war, this battle? Am I not a Philistines and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we, will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, just real briefly, and we'll be done tonight. The giant comes out. Every single day, when David shows up later in the chapter, he's come out 40 straight days with the same challenge. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. Now they said, he said, originally, choose a man. Just pick one. Anyone. We don't care. One. Just pick one. And then he said, give me a man. A Philistine, sworn enemy. Saul fought constantly. Remember, they said in chapter 8, verse 17, the king which ye shall have chosen you. The king, because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. This is the guy that they chose, remember? And what does Goliath say? Choose a man. They already did. They chose Saul. He was supposed to be the guy that would go out. But he said, for you, the king that they chose. He was their Goliath. He was their giant. He was the one that they should have sent out. But Saul wasn't going out there. Where was Saul? Verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. 
greatly afraid. Goliath is mocking them, daring them to send someone out that would be as good as him. And that is Satan's tactic as well. Hey, you don't have anybody in your life that's as big as I am. That's as big as your problem is. You don't have any hope. It's always going to be this way. You're always going to be depressed like this. You're always going to be discouraged like this. You're always going to be beat down. You'll always feel this way. But remember, we sang it tonight. Christ, our hope in life and death. He is our hope. Jesus, Ephesians chapter number 2, which is our hope. Jesus is our hope. He is our encouragement, our strength. And an interesting choice of wording here between verse 8 and verse 10. Because Goliath comes out and says, choose, choose you a man. But then in verse number 10, he says, give me a man. Interesting. Choose. Hey, just pick anybody. But then in verse 10, give. He went from requesting to demanding in a very short time. That ties very well to how Satan tempts us. Hey, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you don't have to read your Bible every single day. You don't have to do that. That's not that big of a deal. Just choose. But then that quickly morphs into, you know you can't live without this. You've got to have this. You've got to have this relationship. You've got to have this addiction. You've got to have this every single day in your life. You can't survive without it. You've got to give in to it. Choose to give. Choose. It starts with a request. Satan's tactics are subtle. It starts with a request, but it ends with a demand. Sin threatens. Satan seeks to devour, all the while showing us the fluffy, feel-good side of sin, never the end result. Remember James chapter 1? What's the end result of sin? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Death. Say, Pastor, does that mean that I'm going to die when I sin? Most likely not. The chances are excellent you won't, but something inside of you will die. Loss of a relationship, loss of trust, loss of love for our Savior, something will die. There will be a death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So a couple recaps tonight, and then we'll pray and be dismissed. Number one, there will always be people who side with evil. Remember the valley that was between them. You've got the forces of good and the forces of evil. But there will always be people that side with evil. You cannot avoid that. It's not avoidable. Number two, Satan always has a champion. Always has a champion. There will always be someone, something out there that opposes us. And most likely that thing or that person will be bigger than us. Will be bigger than us. We look at our life and say, man, I I can't measure up to that. We play the comparison game. Hey, that's bigger than me. That situation's bigger than I am. But it's not bigger than our God. Uh, Number three, the enemy starts with a request, choose, but he ends with a demand, give. Start small, subtlety. You you just choose. It's okay. You don't need need the Lord. You don't need your Bible. You don't need that. You don't need those friends. You don't need that church. Uh, You don't need all that stuff. Two, you can't live without that. You can't live without that vice. You've got to have it. You can't survive without it. And then the fourth thing, there will always be people captivated by fear. There will always be people who are captivated 
by fear. See, they had seen God come through before. Again and again and again and again and again and again. And yet, they're afraid. Why? Well, they didn't have any reason to be afraid. God had rescued them over and over. They had lived through it. They had seen it. And yet they were afraid again. And we know, contrast to us, we know what it says in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. But here's the, the closing thought tonight. And it's on the, on the screen for you. We need to get to the place where we make decisions in spite of our fear rather than out of our fear. We need to get to the place where we make decisions in spite of our fear rather than out of our fear. Because when I make decisions out of my fear, I make poor choices. When I make decisions out of my fear, my decisions are based on what I can do. Man, I'm afraid of what's going to happen with my bills, so... Uh, man, I'm going to take another job and I'm going to uh, take time away from my family and I, I'm not, I'm not, not going to be able to go into church anymore because i got to have this second job or this third job. I, I, I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose all this stuff. And sometimes you might have to dig deeper. But I make decisions when I'm basing them off of my fear, out of my fear, I make poor choices. I need to get to the place, you know what, hey, I'm afraid of that, but I'm not going to let that control me. I'm not going to allow that to captivate me, to take and consume my life. I'm going to turn it over to the Lord, and I'm going to let him fight that battle. And I'm going to do what I know I can do, and I'm going to do what I know is right. And I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to allow God to fight my battle for me. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to be captivated by it. I'm not going to allow my life to be consumed by it. I'm going to give it to the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. And this group of people, you're seeing a group of people living out of fear. We're all going to die. We're all going to be slaves. Goliath is going to charge over here one of these days, and he's just going to start wiping people off. If you won't give me a man, I'll just come over here and kill all of you. It was coming. They knew it, but they're living out of fear. Hey, this week, today's Wednesday, you've got Thursday and Friday at work. Are you making decisions out of fear? Or in spite of fear? Are we depending on the Lord to fight our battles? Or are we depending on us? Father, thank you so much for your word and the challenges that you give to us. Lord, I ask that you please prepare our hearts. And Lord, I ask that you please speak to us. Help us not to live and make decisions out of fear. Lord, we will always have people who are captivated by fear around us. Lord, whether it's politics or relationships or uh, problems, or finances, or marriage, or kids, whatever the situation, circumstances, we look around and see a storm brewing, and we're immediately captivated by fear, and we make poor choices because we choose to make decisions out of fear rather than in spite of fear. Lord, help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who see the God of our Sunday, Lord, the God over us, not the giant in front of us. Lord, help us to focus on the God who is above us, not the giant that's in front of us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for fighting our battles. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go to our prayer time. The guys are